Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Happy Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you from Hoover Metropolitan Stadium, the Hoover Met. Day number three of the SEC baseball tournament, an elimination game going on right now between Auburn and LSU. And with a couple of runs in the top of the seventh inning, Auburn has taken a two-to-one lead over the LSU Tigers. LSU batting with a runner on second and one out. You had an elimination game earlier today with Ole Miss and Texas A&M, and it was a big-time, uh, a big-time pitcher's duel in uh, game one of the day. Crowd that kind of got a little bit bigger as the game went along. Doug Nikhazy on the mound for Ole Miss. John Doxakis on the mound for Texas A&M. And the Rebels got a one to nothing lead. Or a one to nothing win over uh, over Texas A&M. Fourth time this year that the Rebels have beaten Texas A&M in baseball. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online MSLandBank.com. Mississippi Land Bank knows the lay of the land. They've been financing land and all that goes along with it for over 100 years, and they'd love to help you. If you've got land financing needs of any kind and you're in North Mississippi, check out their website, MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. You'll forgive me for burying the lead just for a second because uh, they're funny conversations that sometimes happen off the air. Borky, who is uh, en route to being a new father, just asked, hey, what kind of crib do I need to get? And we didn't have any great suggestions for him, but I did offer up that, well, before you get a crib, you'll have to have a bassinet. And Rippy goes, what's a bassinet? I said, well, it's a small bed that you put usually in the parents' room before you transition a baby into their own room with a crib. And he said, I would say a crib is a small bed. And then he said, isn't a bassinet a musical instrument? And Hey Dad's response was, that's a bassoon. There you go. What's up, Rippy? Not much. <laughs> Dynamite drop-in, Monty. I mean, what? How would I know what a bassinet is? I'm pretty sure I was one of those kids you, that went straight to the crib. But the, you're, you're the you know least furthest removed from a bassinet of all of us. That's a fair point. Actually, I don't think I ever sat in one. I don't know. I was walking and talking at like three months. <laughs> of course you were. Hey, Dad, you're alive today. That's a good thing. It's a start. It's a start. Beats the alternative. Not a uh, not a ton of sleep last night, I'm assuming. Not not a whole lot. Not a whole lot, but that's okay. What time did you finally put your head on the pillow? 5 a.m. Five. When's the last time you stayed up until 5 a.m.? <laughs> Sober? Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't remember. You're 41, 2, 3. Three-year-old man, I, I wouldn't think that that would necessarily be a qualifier one way or the other. You know, I've, I've had some some long nights, you know, of that nature, but I don't remember the last time I, I did anything like that. I added insult to injury on top of it by accidentally locking Hayden out of out of our room. He thought his key was broken, but apparently, I had accidentally detonated the deadbolt. 
uh, in the room. Does, so. it, does that mean you had to wake up at 5 a.m. also? He did. I did, but I was, I'd was been asleep for a while, and Haydad, I'm sure, was just dragging in, and I was just blocking him from getting in the room. I don't really know how I did that. You, you guys are having some door-locking issues, right? I mean, yesterday or a couple of days ago, Haydad locked you out of the bathroom. That's right. I did. I started looking around for a sink, a bottle. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. Finally, I was like, you know what? i got to wake Haydad up. I can't do Good this. Good thing you went on an elevator. Yeah, that's very <laughs> I'm <laughs> glad not stuck on a, on an elevator. The reason that Brian Haydad was up until 5 a.m. is because the baseball game that he was covering last night did not end until 3.03 a.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, you made the observation that because things were clipping along so well yesterday at the ballpark that, hey, at least I'm not going to be at the ball yard to one. They're, they're really dragging the day. I'm obviously going to be here very, very late today. You uh, you nearly saw the sun come up at the ball. Field. I, 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 tw- I tweeted at Rippy's like, bring me some Chick-fil-A on the way in because I'm pretty sure I'm, we're going to be crossing paths there. But did, did he bring you any? No, he was asleep, obviously. Yeah. But a couple more hours and, and I, I would have gotten to sunrise. Yeah. Uh, wait, were you going to pick up Chick-fil-A and bring it to him for breakfast? That's what I wanted him to do. That would have been a real team player move, but if you had brought me Chick-fil-A and I had locked you out of the room, that would have been kind of... I would have eaten it, and yeah. you would have been like, what What happened? Yeah, uh, fair enough. What, what an incredible, interesting, weird, missed opportunities for both teams game you had last night. You'll never see another game like that, I promise you. You know, they say never say never. I'm saying never. You'll never see another game like that. I bet it happens to you tonight. Why? Why? You know, I, I've always been loyal. You know, I take up for you. I help you with the with the the the, the suboptimal thing. Why you want to be like this? You just jinxed it again. What's not saying? I didn't. I didn't, I didn't jinx it. So we'll never see it again. I don't. It, it'll be different. It's not saying. I did say to you a second ago. You know what the coolest thing about last night is? Right, get, There's a chance you could get a repeat of it tonight. Although, if you go 17 innings with the pitching matchup that you've got tonight, yeah. it's going to be a pretty low-scoring game, which last night was fairly low-scoring Well, you well. say that by the time you get to the uh, 13th inning, who, who's left to throw? Is Mangum versus Blade out there on the mound at that point? Yeah. You could get rid of the Whistler, too, because, like, I feel like this place becomes lawless after, like, the 14th. You can do whatever you want. It's like Mad Max out there, beyond Thunderdome. You Two men in or one man leave. Put, put a hit on him uh, at that point. So we got a bunch to get to this afternoon. Doug McKenzie pitched a gem. So did John Doxakis, the pitcher for Texas A&M. In fact, he threw an eight-inning no-hitter and was pulled from the game after eight innings with 99 pitches and nine strikeouts and was absolutely fantastic. Walked, walked the leadoff batter of the game. I think Ole Miss had one other base runner against him, but... He just—he was on cruise control, Rippy, for, for eight innings. Yeah, he was. He was one of the—I mean, he's one of the best pitchers in the SEC for a reason. Probably a first-round pick in June's draft. Um, he was really good, and I—I I was a little surprised at the decision because he was only at 99 pitches. I get why they did it because they're going to need him next week. They're probably comfortably a host, but. And I do wonder if A&M had taken a one to nothing lead if they had let him finish it off in the ninth. But, you know, I, I get it. Yeah, ultimately they didn't do that. They pull him out of the game. Ole Miss uh, is able to get a uh, first hitter of the inning was Thomas Dillard in the ninth inning. 
And Ole Miss has gone hitless for eight innings, and then uh, a two-strike pitch kind of left up. Thomas Stiller goes the opposite way, lines it over the shortstop's head, uh, gets to second ultimately, and uh, then is driven in by uh, Cole Zabowski. Ropes a double down the right field line, gives Ole Miss a one to nothing lead. That's all they would score, and then the end of the game is Parker Caracy entering, and Parker Caracy was really, really good today. He was stranded a one-out double, I believe. At fastball velocity was back. Breaking ball was okay. But, yeah, just more so than anything else, I think it was probably confidence. Like, that's a guy that's in that position a lot and has kind of made a career off being in that position. It faltered a lot late. And as Mike Bianco said afterward, we, we can't win in the postseason without Parker Caracy. And so I, I think that's why Ole Miss probably pitched him, like, in that scenario. I mean, he was probably going to do it all the way, but you had Myers up too, so I think that's why they did that. Just, I think they needed to see that scenario unfold because when they head into the NCAA tournament, they're not going to go very far without him. So certainly a good sign for him. You know, the bullpen's been pretty good here. They preserved a one-run lead in two of the wins. They pitched five and a third innings and allowed a run on two hits, which is not like completely lights out, but it's better than what it has been, and you've got more guys getting outs consistently. Yeah, and Ole Miss has gotten pretty good performances from their starting pitcher in all three games, and so... That was the story today, was Nikhazy, really. I mean, he matched Exakis pitch for pitch. That's a true freshman against one of the best pitchers in in the SEC, and really just matched him essentially pitch for pitch, eight innings of three-hit shutout baseball. The Ole Miss is probably the best version of themselves when he's on the mound. Not, nothing against Will Etheridge, but they just seem to play with a different confidence when Doug Nikhazy is pitching. And to have played three games in three days, the pitching situation about as good as it can be for Ole Miss at this point of the tournament. Bullpen-wise, they'll go Gunnar Hoagland tomorrow against the loser of Arkansas. Georgia. Georgia. If Ole Miss were to win that, as far as a starter on Saturday, I don't know what you do. Maybe Tyler Myers, maybe not. I, I guess it would depend on how the Friday game plays out. But Houston Roth, perhaps. That's certainly a possibility as well. Um, I, I don't think I don't think you'll see Etheridge again unless they make it to Sunday somehow. So, yeah, they're going to have to figure something out there. But to your point, bullpen wise, they're actually set up pretty good. Um, Mississippi State wins in 17 innings last night. It was the longest SEC tournament game in the history of forever, forever, ever. So Mississippi State has played a couple of long games in this tournament. If they just gone one more inning per the Rippy rules, they would already be into Saturday. They would have had two wins. You would have counted it. I would have counted it twice to see how the, I don't know how the conference office would have acted. But. We will uh, we will preview the matchup that Mississippi State has coming up with Vanderbilt tonight. If you like uh, pitching matchups, this one is uh, this was pretty salty. Ethan Small on the hill for Mississippi State going against Drake Fellows for Vanderbilt. Two of the best. Really, really good. My guess is Cole Gordon is not available today or tomorrow or maybe the next day. Maybe Sunday, maybe. That's a it's a maybe though. He pitched sure. a lot and he pitched really well. Yeah, he did in uh, in that game last night. We got a good story for you involving a Division three football team that is getting kicked out of their conference, not because they did anything wrong, but because they are too good at football. That's coming up a little bit later this afternoon for your college football fix. We will begin the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days today in the four o'clock hour. And uh, something we teased yesterday, the NFL changing some rules on what teams can and cannot do in practice settings, all of that. Kendall Rogers will join us from here at the ballpark. 
And uh, coming up next, we're going to let you hear some of what happened last night and what Jake Mangum had to say after the game was over. Sports Talk Mississippi just getting started with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio live from the SEC Tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey in Hoover, Michael Borky in the studio in Jackson. The game going on right now. Auburn and LSU, 2-2. Two to two. They are tied in the bottom of the seventh inning. Ceasefire text line is open to you. You want to text the show, you can do that. 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Ceasefire, customer inspired. And Ceasefire reminds you not to text and drive. We're going to try and kind of unpack last night's uh, game that uh, got started at about 8.15, I think, and lasted until 3.03 in the morning. Six hours and 43 minutes, longest baseball game in the history of the SEC tournament in terms of duration. Let's start, though, with uh, Jake Mangum and Gunnar Halter who were on the set of SEC Now about 4 o'clock this morning and uh, had a conversation with uh, Dari Noka. This was after the game last night, this morning, Mississippi State winning in 17 innings over LSU. All right, Borky, you say that's not happening? It is not happening. Sorry. We will uh, we'll try again in just a second and see if we can uh, can rectify that. I thought I had it set up just perfectly to uh, to be able to play on the air. Let's uh let's try this one more time and if it doesn't work, we'll uh, we'll circle back to it later. Well, that's not going to work either. Sports Talk Mississippi with you live from the SEC tournament in Hoover talking about Mississippi State's game last night. Uh, against LSU. It lasted a long time, and we'll try one more time. Darian Oka and Todd Walker on set SEC now with Jake Mangum and Gunnar Halter. The only game in this tournament's history that's ever gone past two. How about that, Borky? Right? Unreal. All right. We'll start with you, Jake. Uh, we, we were talking before the show. You might be the one guy out here that would really want this thing to go until 9 a.m. I mean, this is... Is this not your dream? All you do is play baseball, right? Um, in 10, 15 years, you know, you'll look back, and this will be the best memory of Hoover I've ever had. But, it, no, I was going I'm, I'm still salty about that 10th inning ground out I had. You know, that you know had an opportunity to end the game right there. You know, I jumped on the first pitch and should, should have seen a couple. When are you going to be over that? Oh, tomorrow. Or today. <laughs> today. today. Uh, as soon as yeah. I wake up, I'll, I'll be ready to go. Again, history. Gunner, I would imagine you're going to remember this fondly down the road as well, being the guy that finally ended this thing. Yeah, I mean, this is my first time here, and I'm just I'm just soaking everything in right now, but uh, it was fun tonight. I'm and how ready. hard is it for you to come off the bench and do something like that? I mean, I've done it also, and, you know, you're sitting around. There's no place to really warm up, right? Yeah, I mean, it was tough, but by that at bat, I had already had, like, I think it was my fourth at bat. Yeah, yeah you played a real game. game. Yeah. Pretty much the ninth inning of you played six or seven game, innings yeah, at that so point. Right? By that time, I was loose, but at the beginning, it was tough. My first bat was tough. I got off the off the bench and faced Zach Hess probably throwing 95. So. Yeah, how you but, doing? Yeah. <laughs> wow. You uh, Welcome to the game. Did you ever think, too, I mean, think about this. You guys went 
13 innings without scoring a run. 13 consecutive scoreless innings, and you win. Some good pitching Again. right there. Yeah, is both bullpens were incredible. Yeah, yeah both sides. Hats off to LSU's bullpen, but you know, I I don't know if we've done that this whole entire year. 13 straight innings. I, I'm I'm sure we haven't along the way, but man, that, that, it's crazy to think about. But you know, um, I think with the eight, 18th inning is, is that the inning we played? 18 17. Yeah. 17. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I got one across in 16th. One last thing for you, and then we'll let you guys get out of here, Jake. You are a terror around cameras. We know that you you slam the one with KP doing BP with KP, and you nearly took another one out in the third base camera well. Did you catch that on a foul ball? Chris Budden was down there. Uh, I apologize to whichever cameraman was there. But, uh, you know what, hey, hats off to them. <laughs> they grinded through today in, in that game. Uh, gosh, man, they're, they're standing up the whole time. No doubt, man. That's y'all, unbelievable. Y'all ready to get out here go get some sleep? I'm ready to go to bed. I want some food. You want yeah, some food? Want what, what's for, what, what are you going to eat? Waffle yeah. House, right? I don't know. I, man, I, I wish Charlie's Philly, Philly <laughs> steak was open. I, I've been tearing. So they wanted a Philly steak at uh, 4 o'clock in the morning after a 17-inning win, ultimately a win over uh, LSU. Mississippi State, let's do quickly the scoring recap on this thing. Mississippi State jumped out to a 2-0 lead, got two runs in the first, added a run in the second, added a run in the third. And, hey, Dad, we, we can start there because in the third inning, it really felt like Mississippi State could have and maybe even should have been up seven or eight to nothing. Two incredible defensive plays, double plays to get out of innings for LSU. It was really following the script of MSU-LSU games in the past, which is State gets out to that early lead and has opportunities to blow the game wide open and for whatever reason can't, and you mentioned it. LSU's middle, middle infield defense all year has been really, really good. I remember in Starkville seeing them make just play after play, and, and it, it, it translated over here to Hoover as well. Uh, so, yeah, State could have broken the game open and said they took a 4 four nothing lead. And, you know, Brandon, Brandon Smith was solid on the mound. You felt pretty good about where you were. And then 12 innings without scoring after that. Mississippi State did not score in the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, or 12th. LSU got two runs in the top of the 5th inning to make it cut the deficit in half. Mm-hmm. They got two more runs in the top of the 8th inning, and now you're going, oh. On a monster home run that landed right there in the bullpen from uh, Giovanni uh, DiGiacomo. Yes, and uh, first home run of his career. Yeah, he picked a good time. He, he did. Stayed in on it and uh, and turned on a big one. So that made it 4-4. Four to four. No score in the ninth from either team. No scoring in the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, or 15th. And then LSU gets a run in the top of the 16th to take a 5-4 to four lead. Nobody's been scoring game over, right? You thought. Not so much. Mississippi State comes back in the bottom of the 16th. They get a run. And then you go to the top of the 17th. Mississippi State's able to put a zero on the board, keep LSU off the board. And then in the bottom of the 17th inning, the Bulldogs uh, – Thank, really, courtesy of LSU. After one out to start the inning, a wild pitch strikeout puts a runner on first base. You get another wild pitch on a strikeout. Can't advance the runner because first base is occupied. No, no, Foscue advanced. Skelton's out, though. Can't advance the runner at the plate to first base because it's occupied. The runner on first goes to second because of the wild pitch. He's able to advance at his own peril. So you got a runner in scoring position, and then you get Gunnar Halter with the base hit up the middle to uh, to get the walk off win. I don't know if it's exhilaration or relief or, or what you call it, but it is a win. It was all the emotions wrapped into one. And you talked about State not being able to score, but in the ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, and fourteenth, they had the winning run in scoring position. And just weren't able to do anything with it. And Kevin, I think they had him on third base 
with less than two outs at least twice, maybe three times in that time frame. Um, so just kept stranding runners. And, and that's what Jake Mangum was referencing where in the 10th inning he came to the plate with a runner on third. Mm-hmm. First pitch he saw, he just chopped it right to yeah. the second baseman, had to freeze the runner, got the out at first, couldn't do anything there. But then you have the other side of that, Mangum ropes a double in the 12th that should have scored Marshall Gilbert from first, but it takes an unlucky bounce and goes over the wall for a ground rule double. Gilbert was ball, halfway around. Oh, the game was over. It's if won. it nicks the wall yeah, and it's stays over. in play, it's, it's game the ball, over. The ball game is over. But instead, it's a ground rule double, and then you can't get anything off second and third with one out, and, and you go. the game continues. And I don't know that Jake Mangum can hit it much better than the ball, that the, the, the ground rule double Smacked that he hit. Yeah. Hit into right center field, hit off the hard track, kicked over the wall, second and third, two out, and uh, ultimately Mississippi State can't score. A ton of pitchers used in the game. More for Mississippi State than for LSU. Eric Walker, the starter, four innings, six hits, four earned runs. Matthew Beck, really good in relief. Four really innings. Good three hits. He had three strikeouts, but I don't think that tells the story of what he did. And then you go to Zach Hess, and he gives you four innings of relief. Does not allow a run. And then Mikhail Hilliard, four and two-thirds, ultimately gives up the game-winning run. He gave up a run in both the 16th and then in the bottom of the 17th. It turned out to be the difference. Yeah, four pitchers for LSU, but like you mentioned, for State, seven pitchers. Of that group, like you said, with Cole Gordon, Probably not going to see him the rest of the weekend, maybe Sunday. I think Brandon Smith is sort of in the same situation. But guys like Liebelt, Barlow, uh, Keegan James maybe could come back a little bit, but that's 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 going to be questionable. Keegan James was very big for MSU last night, even though he gave up the go-ahead run. Yeah. He was pretty good in relief, and that's something he hasn't been recently, so that's good for MSU. Brandon Smith, the starter, four and a third, five hits, two earned runs. Then Tristan Barlow gets the last two outs of the fifth inning, and that was big because he came into a situation where you had guys on base. He's able to get out of the inning. Riley Self goes an inning and two-thirds. Jared Liebelt an inning and a third. And then you get to Cole Gordon. Five innings of one-hit baseball with eight strikeouts. So over half of the possible outs to record come via the strikeout. He did walk four guys, and that's the reason that he threw 75 pitches in five innings. Then you hand it off to Jack Egan for an inning and a third, and Keegan James, who goes two and two-thirds. And ultimately, it's Keegan James that gets the win and Mikhail Hilliard that takes the loss. Yeah, great great job by Cole Gordon. He's definitely the MVP of game one, first thing. 13,902, the paid attendance for that session. There was a big crowd early, big crowd middle of the game. Not a big crowd at the end of the game, but I think all can be forgiven for the folks that left. And everybody who uh, wasn't there will tell you they were there. So that, that crowd will be 75,000 by next week. Yeah, uh, maybe, uh, maybe so. So Mississippi State gets the win. We'll take a timeout, update you on what's happening right now in Hoover, the SEC Baseball Tournament 2019 edition. Day three, more coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Really wouldn't be an LSU baseball game without some drama in the uh, the ninth inning. Auburn leading 3-2 to two over LSU. Nobody out. Leadoff single from Giovanni DiGiacomo. So he is in, uh, well, not in scoring position. He's standing at first base with Saul Garza at the plate. Garza, the seven-hole hitter. So uh, bottom of the lineup for LSU trying to make something happen to uh, stay alive against Auburn in the SEC tournament elimination game right now as uh, Auburn got smoked by Vanderbilt. Ten-run ruled in the eighth inning, 11-1 to yesterday. And, of course, LSU, how about this? I mean, how about the turnaround for LSU to finish a game at 3.03 to get in the bed somewhere between 4.30 and 5. Probably fall asleep a little bit later than that. 
and uh, then ultimately you're back at the ballpark, leaving the hotel at 10.30 and playing a, a 1 o'clock game. That is suboptimal, right? I have to defer to Dr. Ripley. I have no idea what's happening with your headset. We'll fix that in just a second. Um, was he out at second base? We got a review coming? I thought he was out. Just just from my incredibly not great van- there we go. Are we sure? Yeah, we've got the micro. You guys grabbed the wrong headsets. What? Yeah, I've been. I thought you were on opposite ones all, all day long. So now we go. He's out at second. We're gonna get a review. We got a review coming. I thought he was out. All right. Uh, base hit by Saul Garza got to Giacomo to third. So even if Garza is out at second, LSU's got a runner at third with uh, with one out. We'll see how that one uh, that one unfolds as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, you can text the show 601-879-4395 on the ceasefire text line. Uh, a couple of messages. Brandon Smith was awesome in that game last night. You feel good about Brandon Smith? Yeah, I think MSU, it, it took them the entire season, but they've got that fourth starter. Should should they fall into the loser's bracket of a regional, that, that would be the guy they would go to and feel pretty good about it. Scott and Clinton started the game with ripe rally bananas, ended with bananas eligible for hot banana bread for breakfast. Hashtag Hail State. My brain was basically banana pudding at that point. I hear you. Uh, Greg says, uh, I loved it when they played everybody clap your hands at 245 this morning. Everybody was like, what? Nope, not clapping at this point. Borky, how late did you make it last night on Mississippi State LSU? About 1130. I tried my hardest to stay up. I really did. I just I couldn't do it. I woke up on the couch at about 545 and uh, had to go to Haydad's Twitter to tell me what happened. I'm glad so, I could be there for you. So you fell asleep on the couch and couldn't stick with it any farther. Ne- never, like, woke up, oh, goodness, this game is still going, and then you're kind of, like, intrigued? No, that didn't happen. I fell asleep. I, it was probably right about midnight where I fell asleep on the couch. Not on purpose, but I woke up five hours later with my feet still propped up on the coffee table. Didn't budge. I've had a long couple of days, and so I just crashed out on the couch and didn't get to finish. He really is turning into a dad. It's, it's happening. Falling asleep on the couch with your feet on the coffee table, that's, that's dad move right there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't disagree with that. The, the, the frequency with which I fall asleep while watching a sporting event is such that I, I thought that would never happen. Oh, it's all the time. If I lie on the couch and I'm watching a, a game, I'm falling asleep. If I'm trying to sit up in the bed and watch a game, maybe Jane's already gone to sleep, I'm going to wake up at 1.30 or 2 with the TV still on and uh, turn it off. Rippy looks around and just says we're all old. Yeah. I kind of do the same thing. If I'm, like, laying down, I can't really stay up to watch anything. I have to be, like, sitting up and alert. But, yeah, all, y'all are old. Yeah, but we are, especially in comparison to you. Uh, game five tonight of the uh, NBA Eastern Conference Finals, Toronto and Milwaukee, 2-2. Borky, you excited about game five coming up? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm going to watch and I'm going to enjoy it. I wonder about Kawhi's health and uh, I wonder about these reports about what's going on in Milwaukee's locker room, that there's some kind of tension there. Um, and we just With did who? The- what, what's going on there? 
Uh, so apparently they're just not talking to each other. That it was a team that all year seems to have been very close and, and that kind of thing. And, and after game four, there was silence and an obvious tension in the post-game interviews and reports, of course, anonymous reports coming out about how there's some unhappiness about certain guys that are playing, like Miko Miritich apparently is playing more minutes and the rest of the team thinks that he should be. And it's just stuff that's going on because they've lost a couple of games now to Toronto and this is the first time that team's seen any kind of adversity all year long so we'll find out what Giannis is made of with his ability to steer his team through a difficult stretch in the Eastern Conference Finals he's never been in this situation before and so if they overcome this then that speaks a lot about his leadership being the face of that team but if they keep faltering then maybe there's something to it the time of the year for a little discord in the old uh, organization when you're 2-2 in a seven-game series trying to get to the NBA Finals. That seems uh, like not the best scenario for Milwaukee. So uh, that one's coming up 7.30 tonight on TNT. The Western Conference Finals already over after Golden State swept, and so the Warriors are just resting and watching and hoping that the Eastern Conference Finals go seven games. One out after a shallow fly ball to left. The Giacomo not able to tag from third and try to go home and score to tie the ball game. So Auburn leading 3-2 to two over LSU. After the review, they said the guy uh, Garza at second base was safe. The LSU's got the tying run at third, the go-ahead run at second with one out in the top of the ninth inning, and Auburn is making a pitching change. Left-handers coming into the game. Brooks Fuller is the uh, the pitcher. Is there any doubt that LSU's going to win this game? 35 walks. None. It's amazing. I mean, what, four straight left-handers coming up here for LSU? Yeah. Watching it on television last night, obviously I, I am not there, but even in a game that LSU lost, every single inning before I fell asleep, it felt like LSU players and the fans in the stands knew that we're going to pull something crazy out right here. They have some kind of mentality that they have. No matter the score, no matter the situation, we're winning this baseball game. And no matter what happens, they keep that. And you can see it and feel it through the television. I couldn't imagine what it's like there. The difference in the way they approach games as fans is is obvious to me. It's it's a real thing, Borky. Rippy and I walked in last night, and I guess it was, what, the third or fourth inning. It was a two-run ball game. Uh, LSU gets the bases loaded, they score a run, and they just come to life. And they expect their team to come from behind every single time. They expect to win, and they kind of play their part. And, you know, you, you got big baseball crowds, right, in Starkville, in Baton Rouge, in Fayetteville, in Oxford. But none of those crowds are quite like LSU crowds are because they really believe that they're part of the team well, and doing their part. It's the same with football, too. It's the same at Tiger Stadium as it is for, for baseball. And with LSU last night, from the moment they scored to make it 4-2, to two, they had the momentum in that game until the bottom of the 16th when State tied it up. That was the first time I felt State got some momentum back. But for me, it's just a, a credit to this MSU team who is easily the most mentally tough team I've ever been around. And it goes back to last season, and we've talked about it before. 
what they faced at the beginning of last season has sort of shaped this year for them. And there's just there's just not any adversity they don't believe they can overcome. Yeah. Uh, so LSU second and third with one out, new pitcher in the game, and uh, the winning run standing on second base, little pinch runner, Drew Bianco into the. Uh, he came in last night. He got a pinch run. Did he? Yeah. Scored a run. No, I did not. Did not score last night. Oh, came in as a pinch came runner, but did not runner. score. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, it's been kind of an up and down freshman season for uh, Drew Bianco, but uh, probably on his way to being a pretty good player when it's uh, all said and done. Kind of a tense moment. Auburn's got the infield in all the way around. Yeah. It's like there's part of me that just wants to like drop in and tell you, you know, we'll, we'll do play, but we'll broadcast play by play the Richard game. Is, is, is taking on over there. Yeah, I'll, uh, we'll not do that. Chris Reed at the plate for uh, LSU, the nine-hole hitter. Then you get back to the top of the order. Dangerous guys with Josh Smith and uh, and Antoine Duplantis. Uh, in the four o'clock hour, either the four o'clock hour or the five o'clock hour, Kendall Rogers is going to stop by, going to join us. Orky, this kind of dovetails nicely with what you were talking about with LSU fans. Mike Bianco, in his post-game interview today, after Ole Miss's win against Texas A&M, actually gave credit to an LSU superfan, if you will. He's kind of like the the de facto or unofficial cheerleader for LSU baseball. Auburn can't find the baseball. Oh LSU just LSU. got got a oh. tying run and the winning run after it was thrown away. Buddy, when I say I've seen that movie before, I have seen it before. Ball game, LSU wins. What a tough way to lose for Auburn. Let me try and describe to you what just happened. Ball in the dirt. Blocked up by the Auburn catcher, and it really only rolls a couple of feet away. But he cannot find it. He's looking to the backstop. He's looking toward the dugout. He looks back to the backstop, and Giacomo decides, I'm going to try it. Auburn finally gets to the baseball. They throw it all flying toward home plate. Rolls over to the third base dugout. Rufi Hinko comes around to score, and LSU wins. Four to three, the Tigers survive another day, and Auburn's SEC tournament is done. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Winners brackets games are coming up next at the SEC tournament. We'll be right back. Third walk-off win of the SEC tournament in 10 games. That's what we've seen here at the 2019 version as LSU walks it off against Auburn. Two runs scoring on a wild pitch that didn't travel more than about five or six feet away from home plate. And then it unraveled to Giacomo and Bianco scored the tying and go-ahead or the tying and winning runs. And LSU will advance. They will play tomorrow. In fact, they will play the loser of tonight's game between Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. Ole Miss, who won earlier today and eliminated Texas A&M, will play the loser of the game that is going to begin in about 45 minutes, Arkansas and Georgia. And we got a couple of premium Pitching matchups coming up in the uh, the next two ball games. Do we know for sh- is Georgia throwing Hancock or or Losey? Do we know? I don't know. Okay. 
uh, Isaiah Campbell presumably on the mound for uh, Arkansas in this game as well. But then certainly tonight in the uh, the nightcap, Mississippi State going with Ethan Small against um, Drake Fellows, the ace of the Vanderbilt staff as well. They're throwing Wilcox. Georgie is? Yeah. He throws gas. Yeah. He's the guy that throws 100, right? I believe that's correct. And has kind of gone back and forth between being a bullpen arm and um, and a, uh, a starter. Or hey, so yesterday, late in the show, we were visiting with Luke Johnson, who was in Biloxi for the Conference USA baseball tor- tournament. He was uh, joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. You can check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Southern Miss, trailing four to one. In the bottom of the ninth inning, they score three runs in the bottom of the ninth to tie it at four. And then in the bottom of the tenth inning, a two-run walk-off home run for Matt Walner. 20th of the season for Walner. And what a big come-from-behind victory. It keeps their postseason hopes alive. It keeps them on life support. Yeah, they needed that win very, very bad because they would have been out yesterday if they lost. It It was over. Season was was over. As it is. And that's the kind of win that can spark you, man, and get you get a run going in this conference tournament and get them into the NCAA regionals. Well, let's not pretend for a second like uh, Southern Miss isn't better than Marshall. Right. They play Marshall today. Yeah. So you win this one, give yourself a chance, keep plugging along, and we'll see how far uh, it goes. Their game against Marshall is uh, scheduled to begin coming up in just a little while. It was originally scheduled for a uh, for a 4 o'clock first pitch start. Morky, I'm not sure... If you've gotten any kind of an update as to what kind of schedule they're on today at uh, at MGM, they got way behind yesterday because of a 12 inning, five hour game to uh, to start the day off. Hey, Dad said five hour game. I'll see your five hours and raise you an hour 43. And there's what up? the day. It was during the, the the sun was out. They could go to bed at a decent hour. Yeah, but it was hot. I get it. was hot last night. It's it, not was like it was not hot last night. It's not like it was chilly it was, out here. It was pleasant last night. Uh-huh. In fact, at one point last night, I went and uh, threw like a little uh, like a long sleeve pullover thing Did on. You? Did it's you nice. That? That's great. It's nice. Good for you. Great. Grand. You're in a, uh, a rare mood today. Rippy, you look tired, too. I am. I feel bad saying I'm tired because of what Hey Dad's last 12 hours or so has been like, but... It was an early morning at them. If, you, if you're tired, you're tired. Yeah, and there's no Red Bull in this place. That's probably part of it. They have convenience stores up and down the street that we're, we're off of. There. Yeah, I just didn't have time in between riding and the show. For what it's worth, they are you were here fully for like an hour. on time today in, uh, in Biloxi. There you go. So uh, Good for them. Southern Miss and Marshall coming up. First pitch in about five minutes. And then later tonight, Florida Atlantic and Western Kentucky. It, look, I mean, just based on where the bracket is right now and based on what we saw in the regular season, it feels like you are trending towards Southern Miss and Florida Atlantic playing for the Conference USA title. Now, if you're Southern Miss, you're cheering for somebody to knock Florida Atlantic out and you don't have to play them again. But, you know, play who you got to play. you got to go win the thing, though, to be part of the tournament. This is postseason play. You know, whoever's up in front of you, that's who you got to take out. And and in reality, the postseason, the, the tournament has begun for Southern Miss. Yes. And it's just, you know, it's almost like play-in games. And we've kind of talked about that with some teams around the uh, around the SEC as well. you got to play your best baseball. And if you're looking at a mountain with three weeks remaining in the regular season, well, the postseason just began for you. Yeah. Because it's like you're playing elimination game after elimination game. 
When we come back in a couple of minutes, we are uh, we're going to take a look at Ole Miss's game against Texas A&M, and we will begin our countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. The college football season's first full weekend is just 100 days away, August 31st. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. One hour in the books. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. After 4 o'clock with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio in Jackson. Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey here at the SEC Tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Transitioning now to the winner's bracket games. Arkansas and Georgia coming up next. Arkansas the road team, Georgia the home team. And then in the nightcap, it's uh, Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. I assume that Mississippi State will be the uh, road team tonight. Would think so because both teams were the home team in their first game, so the higher seed prevails there. Yep, that would uh, that would certainly make sense. So uh, that's what's coming up uh, this evening. We are about half an hour away from the start of Game Three of Day Three at the SEC tournament. Two teams have been eliminated. Uh, eliminated. I just made up a new word. Eliminated. Uh, eliminated two teams out. Texas A&M was the first team to go after Ole Miss knocked them out with a two, uh, excuse me, a one to nothing win earlier today, and uh, Auburn just eliminated by LSU four to three. Couple of runs scoring on a wild pitch and a throwing error to uh, to end the ball game for LSU to stay alive and uh, play again tomorrow against the loser of Mississippi State and Vanderbilt tonight. Sports talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind and you're in North Mississippi, well, Mississippi Land Bank can help. That's what they do. They've been financing land and all that goes along with it for over 100 years. If you're buying a new piece of property as a, uh, a farmer, you're refinancing an existing loan, need to get crop loans or equipment for the farm, or if you're not a farmer but you're building a house in the country, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Ole Miss gets the win today. Both starting pitchers were really good in the uh, the ball game, one to nothing over Texas A&M. John Doxakis for the Aggies, eight innings, no hits. He threw 99 pitches in the ball game, faced 27 hitters, struck out 10, and walked four in the game. Bryce Miller worked a third of an inning, and Chandler Joswiak came on and uh, ended up giving the uh, game. Losing hit for Texas A&M up to um, uh, Cole Zabowski. Doug McKaysey, eight innings, three hits, no runs, four walks, only two strikeouts, threw 107 pitches, and picked up his seventh win of the year. Yeah, and he's had a knack for kind of putting together productive outings, even though when he... Excuse me. Wow. Bless you. Thank you. Um, thank you for blessing me. Um, he's had a knack. He's had a knack for. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. He's had a knack for producing productive outings when his best stuff isn't there. I mean, he really didn't really ever have it against LSU, and still, what I think he went six and a third down there. He wasn't very good last week against Tennessee, but 
He just kind of battles out there, and you don't really see a lot of hard contact against him. He's not really overwhelming with velocity, but he throws four pitches for strikes, and so it, it looks like more so than when Ole Miss has its other two starters pitch that hitters are maybe guessing a little bit more when, when he's on the mound, and I think that's a large part of it. But, I mean, he was good today. He matched Doxakis essentially pitch for pitch, and that's one of the best arms in the conference and probably the country. Ben McDonald kind of talks about it as the rule of thirds. He says about a third of the time you're going to have the absolute best stuff that you've got. About a third of the time your average, your stuff is going to be average. And about a third of the time you're going to have junk. And it's when you're either average or you've got junk that if you're a really good pitcher, you figure out how to still get outs even though you don't have dominant stuff. And I guess that was the case for Doug Nikhazy today. Uh, Doug Nikhazy, post-game press conference, talked uh, a little bit about his outing today. Fake started off with a, uh, a question from Rippy about uh, what kind of stuff he had and how he felt, uh, felt about trying to match John Doxakis uh, pitch for pitch in the ballgame. It wasn't necessarily difficult today. It was just having a like healthy mix of good pitches, and I, I don't think I ever really found it today on the mound, like having complete control of all of my pitches. But I was able to work through it. My defense did a great job behind me; didn't make an error, and just really did a good job. And as far as Doc Sackis on the other side, just a really good performance from him. He's a tremendous pitcher, and I just tried to keep my mind off of it and know that our offense would pull through eventually. Doug, what would you have said to someone a year ago that tells you you're in this spot starting this game, throwing that game, and winning a game in the ninth inning like that? Oh, I, I would call him crazy, honestly. That was really that was awesome. I think it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience for me, and personally, I, I don't think I would have ever saw myself here initially, but I think it's a great... It, like I have to give a lot of credit to my coaches, Carl Lafferty, Coach B, like who do a great job and got me in a position to where I could do this. Because I don't think I could, really could have done this coming in in the fall. And I think as getting me cleaned up on the mound and giving me the endurance to throw eight innings, that's a lot of credit to them. So I'm really happy for them and for me. And for me as uh, as well, he says. So that was Doug Nikhazy after the uh, the win today. He's now 7-3 and three on the year. That's an interesting uh, kind of way to look at it, to say, look, coming in here as a true freshman, I wasn't ready to do this. And he's kind of grown into the role. Rippy, it's almost like with some guys, there, there's a point. There, there's like a specific start or a specific outing, and you can point to it and you go, that's it. That's when the light came on and he was a different pitcher after that. That hasn't really been the case with Doug Nikhazy. It's been like a steady build throughout the year. Well, he hasn't really had any bad outings. Like, he was not necessarily good against Tennessee. And there's one other one in there that I'm I'm missing, and I, 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 it's kind of escaping me at the moment. But they were still productive, somewhat productive. Like, he got them four and a third or five. Like, it's not any total collapse and so he's been good ever since he's gotten the ball i mean he wasn't inserted into the weekend rotation i guess until what it was that missouri series the second weekend of sec play but his two non-conference starts were against east carolina and louisville the two best teams Ole Miss played in their non-conference slate uh with respect to north alabama all throughout the schedule and he was good against both of them and so you know he's he's just i don't know i mean he's been good from the start so i guess there wasn't ever a moment but it's hard I guess it's it's hard to pinpoint a moment for him when there hasn't been much struggle. A little bit later this afternoon, we will play for you the Q&A in the press conference with uh, Mike Bianco and members of the media. But before we do that, let me let you hear what Mike Bianco had to say 
for kind of his uh, opening comment, just kind of general thoughts on the game today, Ole Miss winning over Texas A&M. First, uh, uh, I thought it would cut tremendous performance by uh, Doug, you know, out there. And, and it just shows you uh, we talk so much about, you know, this league and, and the competition and, you know, only on day three can you face a team that's you know, ranked in the top 20 and throws a you know, first rounder and the guy throws no hitter you know, uh, you know, through eight. And uh, uh, it's just a game that you, know, uh, you got to get a couple hits, you know, maybe an error one inning, and we got you know, two hits in one inning. We're able to pull out the win. I'm not sure besides Doug and, and Zebo, the other people might be Chris Giot. Uh, Chris Giot's the uh, LSU fan. That cheers go Tigers all the time, cheer all over the country. Well, he had the Rebel fans going today with the Rebels, and so uh, you know, uh, he must be the MVP today. So what he's talking about there is if you've ever watched an LSU game, you, you've heard the guy who, who kind of always is like the in-stadium cheerleader. He's the one who, he's walking around going, go, Tiger, that, that guy. And he starts the LSU, LSU, LSU chant. Well, it was dead, like like deader than the squirrel on the T-shirt that Rippy wants to buy that he saw a guy wearing the other day in the stadium this morning. Uh-huh. It's pretty dead. That squirrel looked very alive. It was burning a stogie. It was actually an acorn that he was chewing on that looked like a stogie. Oh. I, I, I thought the same thing initially. The point remains the same. It was dead in the ballpark. And I don't know if it's because there's an affinity for Mike Bianco or this guy just was tired of it being a dead atmosphere, but he kind of got the old Miss fans going in the uh, the eighth inning and, you know, with a, like a Go Rebels chant or whatever. And it was all of a sudden like there was some energy in, in the park once again. And I don't know if that was a difference in the game or not, but Ole Miss kind of came to life and, and they were able to get a couple of hits. I would say more energy came from the fact that John Doxakis was no longer in the game after handcuffing them for eight innings uh, than than any one particular person who might have been leading some cheers in the stands. Yeah, I never really noticed. I don't ever notice those kinds of things, though. But I think getting Doxakis out of the game was... uh, It's because you're sitting up there watching Netflix. No, I'm paying attention to the game. Like, what do I care if some guy in the stands is screaming? There's tens of people here. Point being... I think the biggest point in the game was them getting Doc Sackis out of the game. You know, that was a decision Childress made probably based on the long-term future of the team and Doc Sackis himself. And, of course, Ole Miss immediately gets their first hit when he's out of the game after eight shutout innings. And, obviously, that's where kind of the game turned. But, you know, if Doug Nikhazy doesn't pitch as well as he does, they don't really have much of a chance. But A&M can't hit their way out of a paper sack. They've had a – Can they win a regional – no, they no. don't hit enough. They've had no. a they've had a pitcher take a no hitter to the eighth and ninth innings the last two days, and they're zero and two. They haven't scored a run since Tuesday morning. Fifteen and a third no hit innings in the last two games. Zero and two for Texas A and M, and they are zero and two. More coming out with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, in the Renaissance Bank Studio. When we come back, here it comes: the start of the countdown of one hundred teams in one hundred days. I mean, straight to Karate Kid, Porky. Still haven't watched it, have you? No, I have yet to see that movie. Mm. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Go ahead. I'm holding out at this point just for show fodder. 
Because there's no reason for me not to. I just haven't. And it's just better for me to say that I haven't seen it so you can keep ribbing me about it. Well, yeah, but I mean, at some point, like, maybe you would get the references and you would look in the mirror and be like, I am Johnny. Wow. Enough this people man, have Richard Cross me pictures of somebody about not getting references. <laughs> the ha- you could go as him as for Halloween. That has a lot of potential. That's true. The yeah. black headband, black, the black gee. The gee? Gee. Nice. I'll be a I'm dad on Halloween. That is God, man, that's unbelievable. I'll be a dad on Halloween. You put the you put the boy in the Daniel Russo thing. What is it the uh, strike first, strike hard? Oh mercy, sir! I, imagine if if Borky goes as as uh, I can't remember his name. Johnny Lawrence, yeah. and, and and the little Borky goes as Daniel Russo. Ooh, I don't that's think a, little Borky's going to be ready for a. Uh, we'll figure it out. A costume, just quite maybe not this Halloween. Karate Kid onesie. Yeah, but wouldn't you want to put them on the same team? No, no, that's the best part. Hey, Porky's going to go around and try and kick his own kid's butt? Sweep the leg, let's go! If he acts out of line, then yeah. Do you have a problem with that? Exactly. No, Sensei. I don't want him beaten. There you go. All right, not putting it off anymore. Here we are. It's the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Okay, ready? Three, two, one, go! It's the final countdown! 100 teams in 100 days. August 31st, the first full Saturday of the college football season is 100 days from today, and it just feels right. It just feels like a tradition that when we sit down at the SEC baseball tournament, we know that we are just three months away from the start of a new college football season. Team number 100 on the countdown just happens to be the team that Mississippi State will open its season with, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Number one under Billy Napier, the Raging Cajuns went seven and seven. So not a great season, but an okay season. A season in which they get to postseason play. How'd they get fourteen games? Yeah, seven and seven. Uh, I'm just telling you, I don't know. Uh, we can go back and look at their like schedule. Hawaii or something. Uh, maybe there was a Hawaii game that was uh, mixed in there. Uh, uh, let's see. I can I can go back to 2018 schedule and uh, and answer that for you. Uh, they they opened the season with Grambling. Yeah. Uh, won that game, lost to Mississippi State in Starkville, lost at uh, at home against Coastal Carolina, lost to Alabama, so they were 1-3 and three to start the year, beat Texas State and New Mexico State to even it up at 3-3, three and three. lost to Appalachian, beat Arkansas State 4-4, four and four. lost to Troy, beat Georgia State 5-5, five and five. and then uh, beat South Alabama and beat ULM to get to 7-5, and five. and then... Played in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game. I didn't game. know the Sunbelt had a conference championship game. They do. They lost 30-19 to to Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina, and then lost to Tulane in the uh, the season finale, the Orlando, the Auto Care, sorry, Auto Nation Cure Bowl in Orlando, lost 41-24 to Tulane. To finish the year, 
seven and seven. The uh, quarterback primarily on that team a year ago was uh, Andre Nunez. He completed 63% of his passes, threw for almost 2,300 yards, 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Andre Nunez is not back this year, and so the question is who will be taking snaps. Most likely, quarterback for the Ragin' Cajuns is going to be Levi Lewis. Uh, played in 14 games a year ago, completed 63% of his passes, seven touchdowns, and just two interceptions on the season. This is a program that traditionally is pretty good. They're not great. They had it rolling there for a while under Mark Hudspeth. Mark Hudspeth's official record at ULL is, what, 28, and that's not all that impressive. But he had a whole bunch of wins stripped away by the NCAA. 29 and 38 is the official winning, losing record, but due to NCAA violations, they took 22 wins off the board. If not for that, Hudspeth would have been 51 and 38. He did a pretty good job. Oh, yeah, two or three years where they were the best program in the Sun Belt. Uh, I remember they, they and they would play some team stuff. I remember they went to the Swamp and had Florida on the ropes late uh, and, and just sort of gave that game away. Um, so, yeah, the, Hudspeth had them go in the right direction. Uh, faltered a little bit, but with Billy Napier coming in, I think they, they may be going in the right direction again. Watching them last year, one thing I took away from that was, as a play caller, Billy Napier is very good. Now, he's got to get some more talent in there, and that doesn't mean anything when they play teams like Mississippi State. But as far as Sunbelt competition goes, I think Napier is a pretty good coach, and he's going to get that program going uh, back in the direction that Hudspeth had them going earlier this decade. Billy Napier was a quarterback at Furman University, 99 to 2002. Uh, was a GA at Clemson, quarterbacks coach at South Carolina State. Back at Clemson as an assistant coach for a couple of years. Spent a year as an offensive analyst at Alabama. Uh, a year at Colorado State as an assistant head coach, back to Alabama for a few seasons as a wide receivers coach, then became the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Arizona State before ultimately getting the head coaching job at Louisiana Lafayette. So Billy Napier, the head coach. We'll take a look at the schedule this year for UL, but first we will pause for the national anthem as we get set for game three of the day in Hoover.
Georgia and Arkansas coming up. Really a small crowd for this ball game. Georgia has a small number of baseball fans and an even smaller number that travel to Hoover for the SEC tournament. And it's a long trip for Arkansas. What, about nine hours if you are driving it to get from Fayetteville to Birmingham? Maybe eight and a half hours, but a uh, long trip. So a small crowd for this one that will grow as the game goes along. And we get set for Mississippi State and Vanderbilt in the nightcap of day number three. So team number 100 on our countdown of 100 teams in 100 days is... The Louisiana Ragin' Cages. They open the season August 31st against Mississippi State in New Orleans, playing the game in the Superdome. My guess, hey, Dad, is that Mississippi State will take a large crowd to that game. The, the excitement of the start of a new season, the fun of making the trip to New Orleans, it's not going to be hot because the game will be inside. There are a lot of factors pointing to a, uh, a pretty good Mississippi State crowd for that one. And one thing to remember with that, that game counts as a home game for Louisiana Lafayette. That they are they are the home team even though the game is being played at a neutral site. So okay. a true road game for MSU to start the year. Not bad. Uh, Raging Cajuns will follow up in week two uh, with Liberty at home. So Hugh Freeze will uh, be playing taking the Liberty Flames to, uh, to Lafayette. Uh, Texas Southern is also in Lafayette. Then they have a road trip to Ohio, a road trip to Georgia Southern. They'll play them in Statesboro. A Wednesday night game against Appalachian State. A Thursday night game against Arkansas State on the road. Then they'll get back to Saturday for Texas State. Thursday night against Coastal Carolina. Back-to-back-to-back Saturday games to finish out the regular season. South Alabama, Troy, and ULM. And that's one of the things that you deal with when you're playing in a, a smaller conference, the Sun Belt, the MAC, uh, and some other spots, they're willing to play games anytime because you need the exposure on television and you need the uh, the television money. And ESPN's willing to give them money to play games and provide programming on other nights. Raging Cajun, 7-7 seven and seven last year, season opener for Mississippi State, team number 100 on our countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. I think that was the fastest half inning in the history of baseball. Arkansas went 1-2-3 with a quickness to start the ball game, and now Isaiah Campbell on the mound for the Razorbacks, and Georgia is coming to the plate. Third game of the day here in Hoover at the SEC Tournament. Uh, were you excited about doing the uh, I was getting excited. game one of the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days? I was, yeah. Anything football related excites me. Yeah, it's it's kind of here, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're going to say that our, ten our more times all the po- before the season starts. But yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we get once we get done with postseason baseball, depending on how long it goes, we could just be a week away from uh, the SEC media days. Holy cow! No, it's not that early, is it? it? It was, you know, for state last year being in the College World Series. By the time it finished up, media days I think was about a week and a half away. Yeah, I think that I was thinking there's like three weeks because media days is mid July. <laughs> I know that as an Ole Miss guy, you're not familiar with going deep into the College World Series, but I'm just telling you, it was it was it was later. Okay, that, that that's fine. I, I'm just telling you that. Um, Media Days is in the middle of July, and yes. the College World Series ends like the last week of June. I believe and that leaves believe you like starts two and a half the, weeks. I like the tenth or something this year. I could yeah. be wrong. The uh, we'll be there. The jerk store called, and they're out of you. What's the rush? You're their top seller. 
just dodging the zingers you guys are sending back and forth here. Yeah, I'm just uh, trying to be more like you, Rippy. I'm, 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 I'm done taking stuff off of people. C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. The difference is Rippy's funny and he's witty. Oh, hey, Dad's funny. You're funny as well. Yeah, but we like laugh at him, not with him, right? Jeez. Oh. See, see, you guys like to switch seats? You, you, I mean, you, you started it. <laughs> I, I mean, I admit to that. I'll give you that one. Uh, oh, wow. What happened? Tyler on the C Spire text line. Hey, hey, Dad. Yeah. Nobody likes an asshole. That's not true. My mother loves me. Yeah. Um, I'm in trouble if that holds true. <laughs> Greg uh, on the C Spire text line says, I would love to see this rebel hitter get on top of this pitcher, quit going there, looking at two strikes right down the middle, and bust that ball. I'll have what he's having because that game ended a while ago. Well, maybe he's just kind of talking in general about Ole Miss hitters. Um, yeah, offense is not really producing. Um, it's kind of one thing after another, though, right? Like like the bullpen is kind of rounding back into form, and now they're not scoring any runs. Um, I got asked this question earlier, and I have no idea if this is on topic of what we're supposed to be talking about, but would you be more concerned about the offense or happier with the bullpen? I'd probably say happier with the bullpen because you think they're not – I mean, they're not going to hit at this level for an extended stretch. It's probably not going to be the offense that some people thought. But they, they have some good hitters. They do. And so, like, what would be more costly to them? The bullpen not getting people out. I mean, you've seen them survive some tough-ish offensive stretch. I mean, when that bullpen went bad, they hit a free fall. How big was uh, Caracy's inning today? Huge, I think, just for confidence more so than anything else. Like, I don't know if that guy, like, necessarily lacks confidence because he's been in that moment a ton. But I imagine, I mean, the six-run thing at LSU is demoralizing, not being able to get outs after that. Like, I imagine just seeing the results, like, again, probably Watching him, I, I, watched the, I got up in time to watch the end of that game, and uh, he looked confident pitching the ball. Well, I had a couple people text me, like, why are they not going to Myers and look? They're not going to – I mean, Mike Bianco said it after. They're not going to – they have no chance in the postseason if Parker Gracie doesn't pitch and doesn't pitch well. They have to have him. So, you know, this created an environment and a setting where you can test that out where your season, in a literal sense at least, is not on the line. Um, let, let's play forward the two-seed on the road as a regional J- just for a second. Mike Bianco, when he's hosting as a one seed, throws his ace in game one. So you know Will Etheridge is throwing game one. So so let's just play it forward as chalk just for a second for the, the first two games of a regional. Whoever the one seed is, wherever they go, wins their first game. And Ole Miss beats a three seed in their first game of the tournament. I know and, the answer to this question. Well, hold on. Well, what question do you think I'm asking? If they get past the first two, who's the third guy? No. Okay. No, that's not where I was going. You knew nothing, Rippy. I know nothing. Um, so, so let's assume game two is the one seed, the host, against Ole Miss, the two seed, because both have won their first games. Don't you feel really, really good about Doug Nikhazy throwing that second game of the regional with a chance to advance into the you've only got to win one more? To, to, to get to a Super Regional? Well, yeah, absolutely, and that's why they have a chance, because of Doug Casey. Because, I mean, if you remove Doug Casey from the equation with regards to this team, they're probably, well, one, they're probably already on the couch at home and not in Hoover, and two, 
I'd be willing to make an argument they might have been fighting for their postseason life here this week if Doug Nikhazy, like, if you take him away from this team. Well, I don't disagree with that at all. So, yes. It's seven and three. Yeah, so for with all for all the team's flaws, that is why they have a chance, is they have two starters that have been really good. What, I mean, I got a text earlier from my podcast co-host Colin Brister. What, Etheridge and Nikhazy this week allowed one earned run over 14 innings, I believe. 14 and a third, 15 and a third? Well, and 15 and a third. And then I guess the other part I was going to play about that is Ole Miss is not going, I say not. I mean, I, I guess, I feel comfortable saying this. Ole Miss is not going to face a pitcher that pitches better than John Doxakis did today. I mean, he, he threw a no-hitter oh, yeah, yeah, for eight be, innings. Yeah, that'd be hard to... So they're not going to face a pitcher that was better than him. Doug Nikhazy matched that guy game for game. I know well, there's no transitive property I mean, that works that, here. But if uh, Georgia loses this game, they're going to face Emerson Hancock. But and, 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 and Hancock may is... be a better pitcher, mm-hmm. but he's not going to pitch sure. any better than Doc Sack has pitched today. Unless he completes what's, a no-hitter. No, you're right. Yeah, what's, uh, what's weird about it is is they've actually been fairly decent against some of the best arms in the conference. It's been everyone else that's given them trouble. I mean, that kid from Arkansas yesterday, I know he's their Saturday guy. But, like, that's not – I wouldn't say that's top shelf level arm. And he – they fared worse against him than they have. Like, I mean, what, they've beaten – I guess they didn't technically beat Doc Sackis today, but they beat him in the regular season. They beat Asa Lacey. They beat um, – what? I'm blanking on the kid at Auburn. I don't have no idea. Tanner Burns. Tanner Burns. Tanner Burns. Yeah. Thank you. Um, they're okay against Zach Thompson. It's just been everyone else that's given them trouble. So, to your original point, yes, they do. I mean, they have a chance in a regional because of those things. Some questions coming in on the, uh, the C Spire text line from Jeff. What's up with – Clement sending everybody home with the ball almost to the cutoff man. <laughs> Look, they've, they've it didn't happen today. They've been told to be aggressive, and I guess it's a little overboard to the point to where, like, I mean, you can't not have a stop sign, and that's what it's felt like for a while. So they're an aggressive team. They steal a lot of bases, but I feel like there has to be some balance there. I mean, you the sin yesterday to send Dillard home was fairly egregious because he was standing on third base when the guy had already transferred the ball in left field from his throwing hand, I mean, from his glove to his throwing hand. Like, that's a little absurd. So you've got to have some balance, but I think you'd rather have them be aggressive than conservative, but, you know, dial it back a little. Uh, as an Ole Miss fan, I was pulling for Mississippi State in the baseball postseason, but hey, Dad's comments just remind me that I'm not going to do that anymore. Very good. Fair enough. Very good. That's on the ceasefire text line. Tyler says, influencing people. Yeah, Tyler says, your mother has to love you. Keep it friendly. You're a representative of the hospitality state, whether you wear maroon and white, red and blue, or yellow and black. Ooh, he got you with the represent the state well card. That wasn't, wasn't very classy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll wear a tux tomorrow. Yeah, you do that. I promise I won't laugh at you then. What if I go like the LeBron route, top, tux top with the shorts? Uh, yeah, yeah, you should That's do that look. too. It's a good look. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. It would okay. be a great look for uh, for you. Um, Borky, we, we didn't spend a, a ton of time on this, and we don't have a lot of time here, but the NFL asking teams to stop doing drills like Oklahoma um, – I thought it was interesting. There were some former football players on Twitter yesterday that reacted in a way that basically said, we don't do that in the NFL. And we haven't done that in the NFL for a long time. Bull in the ring is not a thing in the NFL. I think Chris Long, who just retired, was the one that kind of said that. Is this just like a PR stunt for the NFL, or are there certain teams that are still 
doing Oklahoma drills and bull in a ring drills. It, it feels like a PR stunt because, like you said, they don't do this. And the problem yeah. with something like this, with very limited time, so i got to be quick, um, the problem with things like this is youth leagues, and you've seen it like in the state of New Jersey, for example, they are outlawing tackle practices at all once the season begins. Their players will not tackle each other except for on game day. Youth football leagues see stuff like this and with good motivation behind it will decide that, well, if the NFL doesn't tackle in practice, if the NFL doesn't do these kind of things anymore, then we shouldn't either to prevent injury. But the problem is... NFL players are refined tacklers. They're professional football players. They don't need to do tackling drills all day. That's why they don't do it. They don't need to do it. They need to keep their bodies protected. At the youth football level, and I can speak from experience because I broke my neck playing high school football, if you do not practice tackling all the time and, and teach appropriate tackling form, you don't have to do bull in the ring, but you have to constantly Hammer home how to tackle properly because if you don't, it will lead to bad habits. And I can tell you, bad tackling habits lead to devastating injuries. So the motivation is good, but people will uh, puppet this kind of stuff and it will ultimately end up poor. So it's a PR move that's going to have residual poor effects down the road if people don't get smart and realize that kids need to tackle each other to get it right. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour when we come back. Sports Talks Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Georgia leaves them loaded in the bottom of the second. We go to the top of the third. Scoreless between the Arkansas Razorbacks and the Georgia Bulldogs from the Hoover Met. Day three of the SEC baseball tournament. A winner's bracket game between Georgia and Arkansas. And then another winner's bracket game coming up tonight, Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. Great pitching matchup. Ethan Small against Drake Fellows. My guess is there will be a significant number of radar guns behind the plate tonight. Yes, indeed. And they'll, be, they'll be looking at two of the best, two guys probably first-rounders when their time comes. There are a bunch of first-rounders in the SEC on the mound, aren't there? I, was it Borky said to me? I don't remember who it was, but this is this, this tournament – and the coaches say it all the time. It's harder than winning the College World Series. Look at the talent on these teams out here. You've got a ton of future major leaguers. And then when you you know you sort of water it down the rest of the way of the NCAA tournament with mid-majors and Big Ten teams that don't have anybody. And like Ole Miss, is, like I, was, I thought about when I was framing back last baseball season because Ole Miss beat Arkansas. I don't remember if they swept them or two out of three last year in, in Oxford. And like... That Arkansas team won the national title, but it's hard to detect who's the elite of the elite when yeah, you see they, so many teams they, week in and week out. They actually got the second-place trophy. State swept them, too. Oh, I said should have won a national Oh, should have. Yeah. I thought you said they won. State I might have actually said State swept that. Florida, who was in the College World Series. State took three out of four from Ole Miss, who was the number four national seed. I mean, you just, it's just different. I don't want to be a shill for the SEC and go to the old – it just means more thing. But the, the only – I would agree with you that this is a more difficult – well, once you get to the eight teams that are standing, this yeah. year it's the, the top eight seeds. I mean, yeah. it was the top eight seeds that yeah, got, got to the and, – and that's pretty cool. I would agree with you that it is a more difficult tournament if you spread it out the way the College World Series is spread out. Yeah. Because this is – when you're, you're compact into, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you switch from single elimination to double elimination and all that goes with that, it's not the – test of what team is best 
it's the test of who's got enough pitching to get through another game. And their varying interest levels. Sure. The top four seeds all have the pitching to get to the next game. And then this tournament this year. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. Uh, I agree with that. And, I, I mean, I think that's why if if you get chalk, you know, we'll see. They, they, they really do. Yeah. We think about the guys that haven't thrown yet. Yeah. For Georgia, Emerson Hancock has not thrown yet. Yeah. For Arkansas, they've not thrown Connor Nolan, who was their third weekend starter. Mm-hmm. Mississippi State, uh, obviously Ethan Small tonight, but they've not thrown JT Ginn yet. Vanderbilt has not thrown Kumar Rocker or um, uh, yeah, Patrick Raby. Right, and Fellows goes tonight. And, and Fellows is going tonight. I mean, they threw Mason Hickman in, in game one yesterday. Um, so it's a, a pretty impressive mix so far. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. It's driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. And we need you to help us out with something. I need you to write this email address down, sportstalk at supertalk.fm. Sportstalk at supertalk.fm. From now until basically the 4th of July, Ford has got some special savings available for veterans and first responders. And in conjunction with Ford, we're going to highlight some of our hometown heroes in Mississippi. On Mondays, we're going to look at military members. On Fridays, we're going to look at first responders. And we want you to help us learn some of their stories. So whether you live in Hancock County or you live in Hernando, you're in Corinth or Coffeyville or uh, you're down on the, uh, you know, in the Mississippi Delta or in the Pine Belt, wherever it is in Mississippi that you live, we know you've got heroes in your community. Drop us a line, Sports Talk at supertalk.fm. Tell us about a first responder or a veteran in your community so that we can highlight those stories and say thank you to them in conjunction with Ford, who's got the best-selling trucks in America. All right, Borky, take me through this. Division Three school in Minnesota is getting kicked out of their conference because they win too much. Yeah, pretty much. So the MIAC, which is the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, that's a mouthful, uh, has kicked out one of their founding members, St. Thomas, for simply, and they said as much in their release, being too good at football. They have a margin of victory that is hard to believe. They are scoring 90 points in conference games sometimes, and uh, they came together and voted and kicked them out of their league in an involuntary removal of uh, conference membership because they're beating the crap out of everybody in football. And so they don't want to deal with it anymore, so they're just sending them packing, a founding member of the conference, because they can't beat them. And they noted, for whatever it's worth, college football is different, but this school, St. Thomas, does have double or more the enrollment that every other school in the the conference has, but at the same time, that's not really how college football works. It's not like you're picking from a pool like you do in high school. Still, they're getting kicked out for being too good at football. What's the enrollment of LSU versus Ole Miss and Mississippi State? Say Florida has twice the enrollment of Ole Miss and Mississippi State. But it's a little different. I'm not justifying it because this is a weird move. But what if, I don't know, South Carolina had double the enrollment of every other school in the conference and just gave everyone the business every year? Like, you couldn't kick them out, but it'd be a different scenario. Swap South Carolina with Alabama, and that is what's happened for the last decade. That's fair. I don't know, 90 points a game. I would say reasonable people ask reasonable questions. Richard and Wiggins, he's reasonable. So can we kick Bama out? 
I'm just saying it's worth a, a, a float for a trial lawyer to give it a chance. No, y'all are looking at this wrong. You kick Vander, Vanderbilt out and you get no more Whistler. Okay, short term, that's a great idea. But let's look at the bigger picture. It's a slightly bigger picture. Hey, serious question, um, though, on that note. The, uh, if the SEC, in hindsight, could... And they wouldn't tell you this, but if they could, let's say, replace Missouri with Oklahoma, they would do it, wouldn't they? Probably, yeah. They'd go back in time and do that. So why... This is a little off topic, but like... Now when I go through and feel like think of SEC teams, SEC opponents, A and M feels like one, and Missouri really doesn't. Why is that? Why has that transition been so different? I think it's because it's not can't be a hundred percent success based. I think it's part because it. Missouri is in the East, and you're just not seeing them every year. If you were a Kentucky person, you saw Missouri every year. It might feel that way. We disagree. We see uh, I don't know. I disagree. It's, I don't know. To me, it's because Missouri feels like no, I agree a with Big that. Ten team. They're in a place where it's cold. Big Ten. And it's, Hard to get to. Big Ten, Big Twelve. Yeah. I agree with what you're saying. But if, I think- if Missouri was going to make a move out of the Big Twelve, the Big Ten feels more like it would make sense than a move to the SEC. I, I feel like Missouri people I, I would like culture to talk- fits more with Big Ten than the SEC. I don't disagree. Oh, with you. I would oh, actually. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that last part. But I would feel the Missouri is even as weird in the Big Ten. And I'm just curious why my perception about A&M has changed. I would but like my to talk Missouri to somebody who covers an SEC East team and see if they feel the same way, maybe about A&M. Because we talked about, you know, Georgia. They're playing. I don't think anybody feels that way about A&M. You don't think? Okay. No, because – and, and here's, I think, the reason why. It's just like more people that care. Texas well, A&M, that is a true Texas A&M's there. people care more. And they care about everything that everybody in the West and most everybody else in the SEC cares about. They care about baseball. They care about facilities. They care about football. They've got traditions. They they, they just have and, – and the Southwest, I mean, Texas and the Southwest are more Southeastern conference-like yeah. than Missouri in the Midwest, like the, the lower Midwest. So I've never been able to – and this is probably part of it. I, this, I'm not asking this facetiously. What does Missouri care about the most? Because they don't have- – like terrible well, football. Mean, they have fair, terrible football attendance. Yeah. Uh, friend yeah, of the ahead, show, Morgan. Stephen Godfrey, wrote a, a really good synopsis of Missouri game day, and here's what they care about. He's, it was late in the fall, so towards the end of the year. This is something he wrote a few years ago. He said walking around the tailgate areas, when you go through the Grove or when you go through the junction, everybody's got football on, right? Everybody. He said there were more people yeah. on game day at Missouri focused on the St. Louis Cardinals, wearing Cardinals hats, wearing Cardinals shirts, watching the baseball game. He said you couldn't find football anywhere around campus, around where they tailgate, because everybody was locked into the Cardinals on a Missouri football game day on the Missouri campus. That's what they care about. Best fans in baseball, they say. Just ask them. They'll tell you. Yeah, just ask them. Do you think that's part of it, that they have two major cities with sports teams like that? that they, the they've state? got a little bit more of a pro sports feel to them. That, that would yeah, make sense. but Texas A&M's got the ten, ten of them. I guess, but, but A&M, A&M's an hour and 15 minutes from They're, Houston. The cult. It's just such a you – know, it's university first. That's definitely a college feel there. So I, mean, I get what you, where that's going there. If y'all could boot one team, who would you boot out of here? Missouri. Missouri. Okay. They don't fit. It, as I mean, as we've been being, talking about, they don't I'm not fit. trying to be funny. Missouri, yeah. You know who I would replace them with? Because I don't think you want to get Oklahoma. you you got enough problems with Alabama. When I went to Kansas State this year, that felt like an SEC town. Really? Yeah. 
It's not who I would replace them with. I'm just saying. It felt, it felt. go Virginia Tech. Okay. At least you balance out the East with an East school that yeah. way. Yeah, no doubt about that. That's your college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Don't forget to send us your stories about your hometown heroes, veterans and first responders. The email address, sportstalk at supertalk.fm. We want to share those stories on the radio starting this coming Monday, Memorial Day. So we need some military stories from across the state between now and then so that we can honor them on Memorial Day moving forward through the 4th of July. Still, no, it's not scoreless anymore. Arkansas leads one nothing over Georgia in the bottom of the third. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back to view on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey's in the studio. Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey here at the SEC Baseball Tournament. Mississippi State and Vanderbilt coming up a little bit later tonight. We will preview that game in a little bit more detail. I promised earlier, though, that would give you the press conference audio from Mike Bianco, a little Q&A post-game. Uh, after Ole Miss beat Texas A&M one to nothing earlier, the um, uh, the the first question that Mike Bianco got was whether or not the pitching matchup today was one that, w- from his perspective, was uh, impressive to watch. Here's what Mike Bianco had to say, plus the rest of his press conference. I would imagine, so, especially if you're a fan watching that game, you know, uh, I think. Our, our, our culture loves offense, and that's that's awesome. But you know, to sit there and watch that, unfortunately, I don't maybe watch it like the rest of the people. Um, but just proud of Doug, you know. Just you know, each week, I don't want to say surprise because I think that's unfair. I think it's almost you know getting to that expectation where you, know, you look down the line and you got almost you know. Uh, you know, pinch yourself and say he is a freshman. Uh, but you know, I know the team's got so much confidence when he has the ball and he's out there. And he's one of those guys that just doesn't have bad innings. You know, and, and what I mean by that is there's guys where they lose it quickly, and all of a sudden you, you look up and say, "Hey, I was a good game up until that point." That doesn't happen to Doug very often. You know, there's been games maybe we didn't win, um, but uh, but he's a fighter. He's a competitor. And you've You've heard me say that week after week, but that's that's why. You, know, you look today, and even though he's tremendous, but if you want to be critical, you know, in a game like that, he walks four guys, uh, but he's able to make pitches and get off the field. There's just not very many hard-hit balls. Uh, uh, just continues to make pitch after pitch, even you know when there's some traffic on the bases. Mike, obviously, Parker's had some recent struggles. Look like Tyler was also warm. Mm-hmm. He chose to stay with Parker after the double. I think he visited the mound. What was that like? Didn't visit the mound, but you're right. And it's just, you know, you win or go home. And uh, we had set Tyler down, I think, if, if I got my age right, somewhere in the sixth. I think Tyler, Tyler went down, Myers went down at the bottom of the sixth. Um, knew Grace was going to pitch at some point today, you know, unless he threw a you know, complete game, which he almost did. Um, but when it got to that point, you know, I've said it you know, for a couple weeks now, I don't believe that we can can win the postseason without Parker Gracie. I mean, I just I don't believe we can do that. And I think most people probably, you probably are team, I think most people believe 
that. And so, um, you know, he's, he's, he's won so many big games. He's been in that moment a lot more than, than most kids in this conference. And so, you know, he's a tough, tough kid. And when you're a closer, sometimes you get, you get lined up out there. And that's what's happened to him the last few weeks. But it hasn't been one thing. We've had this conversation. It hasn't been, all oh, it's control when he walks people or he gets hit around. I mean, it's been a lot of different things. I don't mean fluke. I just mean it's been a lot of different things. There's times where he's been out there, and, you know, uh, where two outs and nobody on, and then you look up, you know, uh, as we know, six runs later, you go, wow, what happened? Um, so it's been a lot, and it's been almost hard to comprehend. Uh, but man, he was he was really good today, really good. What does it mean in a tournament environment like this to get three straight really good outings from your starters? You haven't had to get many innings out of the bullpen this far. Yeah, but I think that puts us you know, in a good position going forward. We're going to get our number three going tomorrow, Gunnar Hoagland. Uh, and I don't know, the rest of the, as rest as you can be going, as you said, going through three three days of this. And that's what, I mean, I think that's the obvious thing is, you know, you, you're, you're able to um, you know, rest some arms. Uh, you know, certain partner is one today. He, he, there's no doubt he could go tomorrow. You got Myers, you got Miller, you got Roth. Uh, you got Olenek, you got others, you know, that, that can pitch. So, uh, but again, you know, whoever out, who, who's ever out there has got the outs. And so hopefully we continue that stretch. Your experience, how hard is it to make the decision you come to make there about uh, bringing outside the session for the ninth or yeah, that's that's tough because I know uh, from a media standpoint, especially I think from a fan standpoint, uh, but it's smart and, and I don't know where pitches and all that are, but but at the end of the day, um, you know, that, that guy's got a career in front of him and they don't win next week. You know, and, uh, and I think you gotta be careful uh, in, in this tour. You know, as much as everybody wants to win it, uh, you, you got to be careful because there is there is a next week, you know, for most of the teams here, and uh, you, you got to be careful. You're here in a championship, and I think that it's, it, there's a fine line. Uh, I think we all struggle with that, but 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 I totally understand. I know what he. That was Mike Bianco after the game today, and that last question was uh, about the decision that Rob Childress had to make in uh, taking. John Docs Axis out of the game after uh, he had completed eight innings of no-hit baseball. He'd thrown 99 pitches in the game. You know, the interesting thing is if you actually go back and you look at the number of pitches that Docs Axis has thrown throughout the course of the season, it's not uncommon for him to go 120, 125. He's a big, strong guy. He throws it hard. and um, But they just you, – you've got more on the line. I mean, for Texas A&M, they've got to win a regional next week. Uh, they're likely going to be hosting a regional, and their focus is there more so than it is on the SEC tournament and continuing, and they like their bullpen on top of that. Problem is, offensively, I, I don't know if we were still playing if they would have scored. You talked about A&M hosting there. Right now, if you had to pick A&M or LSU for the last host spot, who are you picking? Ooh, that's a good question. LSU took the series. They made it further in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, if it was head-to-head between those two teams, I probably would give it to LSU. But I think I think given kind of the, the landscape you've got right now, there's a really good chance that both of those teams are ultimately going to be hosts. So when you look at the RPI coming into – well, we can actually look at the current RPI. Full Warren Nolan side does, up. Does LSU need to beat State or beat Vanderbilt tomorrow to, to seal that up? 
don't know. I mean, they won 17 in the regular season, and they won two in the tournament. I mean, they're sitting on 19 SEC wins. Um, uh, let's just, just take a look at where LSU is right now in the uh, in the RPI. They're sitting at 21 in the RPI. So that's not that's not perfect uh, from an RPI standpoint by any stretch of the imagination. You've got uh, UCLA at number one in the RPI, followed by Vanderbilt, Georgia, and Mississippi State, and then Arkansas at six. We know all four of those are going to be national seeds. Uh, then you get to uh, a bunch of teams. So UCLA is going to be a national seed. East Carolina probably going to be a national seed. We'll have to wait and see, although I think they lost yesterday in the American tournament. Say what? They're 1-1 one one so far in the uh, American Athletic Conference tournament. Oklahoma State, eh, are they going to play their way into that national seed spot? It'll be interesting to me to see if you've got Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. It, it, it feels like one of those teams could be a national seed, but probably not both of them in that scenario. Louisville could be in the race for that last national seed spot. But then you get down, I mean, is West Virginia going to host? I mean, you know Stanford's going to host. Texas A&M sitting at 16 right now in the RPI. North Carolina sitting at 17 in the RPI. So LSU would actually have to jump some people yeah. to to get to that last spot. We're going to talk with Kendall Rogers from uh, D1 Baseball uh, coming up in uh, in just a couple of minutes when we uh, continue on Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll, we'll get his reaction to that. And, and, hey, Dad, you can ask him that specific question. If it comes down to LSU or Texas A&M, which one is the uh, the team that deserves to uh, to be the host? Rippy, at this point, if, if you had to pick a spot based on – the teams we know are going to be one seeds, whether it's a national seed or, or just a host as you know a, a top sixteen. Where would you pick for Ole Miss to go as a two? Not based on where you want to spend the night for three or four nights, but where you think Ole Miss has got the best chance to win a regional. I guess Atlanta or Raleigh. That sounds probably, if you're looking at it from an Ole Miss perspective, a little bit more digestible than going out on the West Coast to a Corvallis or Palo Alto or. UCLA. So I'd probably pick one of those, and plus, obviously, the, the geographical convenience of that. Well, and you, you wonder if Ole Miss, with their win today, has played themselves into being a two-seed that doesn't have to go to a national seed. You know, have, have they kind of elevated themselves on that two-line enough to not necessarily have to go, or does the committee take that into account? We know they're seeding one through 16, and then your super regional matchups are one versus 16, two versus 15, three versus 14, etc. But it's not necessarily seeded one through 64. I mean, if you if you did a true, is it called an S-curve? Isn't that what it is where it's one through 64 where your number one overall gets the worst number two, the best number three, and the worst number four, and, and then you kind of work it all the way through. They don't do that. And, and that's kind of where the geography part of it comes uh, into play. You can text the show on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Brad in Burnsville asks, does Ole Miss have to win the tournament to get a host spot? I would say at least make it to Sunday. Make it to Sunday. So, again, questions that we'll uh, talk with Kittle Rogers about coming up in uh, in just a couple of minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi from the SEC tournament in Hoover, Arkansas leading Georgia one to nothing as we go to the bottom of the fourth inning later tonight. Mississippi State and Vanderbilt in the second winner's bracket game of the day. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Call me the gangster of love. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Now in the top of the fifth inning, Arkansas leading one to nothing. Only run in this game is scored on a wild pitch. Razorbacks with the lead over the Georgia Bulldogs. A couple the theme of, of the day. Good ones going on pitches. the mound. Yeah, no doubt. That was... 
LSU's walk-off win. Wild pitch and a throwing error. It's a crazy turn. That was terrible. Tough way to lose, huh? (laughs) And you feel horrible for Auburn's catcher. If you've ever played that position, you have experienced that. Ball in the dirt, and you just can't find Uh, it. I'm more trying to figure out what the first baseman's doing, throwing the ball whenever the LSU guy was standing on third base. Like, what are you throwing at home for? Yeah, that made uh, zero sense uh, whatsoever. That voice you hear? is uh, one from Kendall Rogers, D1 Baseball, D1Baseball.com. Sleep in a little bit this morning? Not really. Hey, you got kids. You know how it is. You know, my body clock wakes me up at like 7.30 every day or even earlier, and I woke up about 7.45. Mind you, I went to bed at 5. I woke up at 7.45, wide awake. I tried to go back to sleep, and the most I could do was sleep till about 8.30. So uh, my Apple Watch told me I got like three and a half hours of sleep, so... State needs to hurry up tonight. That's all I got to say. Yeah, it's all up to Brian. The, the, the we're pitching. on the same page there. I, I got a little more sleep than that. We were talking. We were talking, but uh, just a minute ago, this is the first time, or this morning, early this morning, is the first time I've ever got done with a game that I've covered, and the sun was coming up, and I walked in the hotel, and I covered the twenty-five inning Texas Boston College game, and it still wasn't that bad. So <laughs> that gives you an idea. You know what? I give these players a lot of credit. You look at LSU earlier today. Uh, you know, obviously they didn't play with a ton of energy early. You know, offensively they're a little lethargic. But to, to be able to come out here and play uh, that few hours later was pretty impressive and able to get the win against Auburn. Yeah, and I would imagine that uh, a lot of those guys are crashing at, oh. uh, at this point, getting ready for an elimination game again tomorrow. Yeah. Um, from an Ole Miss perspective, you would rather Georgia come back and win this game so you don't face Emerson Hancock tomorrow, right? That would be correct. So that's a great idea. You, you, you'd rather get Connor Nolan than Emerson Hancock. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd say that's same. probably a little bit safer bet. But you know, uh, you know, I thought I thought today was, was an interesting showing for Ole Miss. Obviously, offensively, John Darksack has kept him off balance for much of the game. But you know, there at the end what was was kind of the Ole Miss a little bit that that I've been waiting to see for much of the season. You, you get Cole Zabowski gets the big hit, and honestly, I thought Mike Bianco. Showed a lot of confidence in Parker Crazy that, quite frankly, I didn't have in that situation. Like, I was kind of wondering, like, why are you going him here with the way he's pitched lately? You know, Adam, I think Adam got the hit there. Uh, and then he's able to kind of get out of that jam, and his stuff looked pretty good. And, you know, you kind of wonder for Crazy a little bit, is that, is that kind of the switch that turns on for him? That, that could be kind of a turning point for him moving forward. Well, and, and Mike Bianco has been really honest, not just today in the yeah. postgame, but even going back to last week and saying, look, we, we will not be a successful postseason team if Parker Caracci's not part of the equation. So it's almost like it was a calculated risk today. Yeah, and, and let, let's face it, like, you know, the, the story of Ryan Olenek is, is awesome, but, like, he doesn't need to be your closer in the postseason. Like, sure. That's just not the winning formula. You know, if you get into a loser's bracket deal, sure. and you need an extra arm exactly. it's good to know that he's there and, and he can get you one. But you need Parker Caracci to be to get the guy that shuts it down at the end. Yeah, so I'm really interested to see Ole Miss tomorrow. You know, they, they kind of build off the way that game ended a little bit and kind of get on a roll here. And, you know, we talked uh, during the break about, you know, the potential to host and i mean gracious i mean i think that's a long shot right now but hey tell you what if they can win to win tomorrow win saturday and get to sunday uh you know they, their rpi no matter who they play to these two teams are probably going to get a three or four spot bump i think they were at 25 last i saw yeah uh, i mean they could be inside the the top 20 uh if they win the next two games so again i think it's a long shot i think there's too many teams ahead of them right now but uh you know they've got a chance we were just talking I'm telling about, you there's a chance. Just talking about hosting, and I, and I asked Richard yeah. this. I'm going to ask you. If it came down to LSU and Texas A&M for one spot, who, who's getting that host spot? Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, the thing – so you look at it both two ways here, uh, and it really just kind of depends on what the committee values. On, on one hand, you look at A&M with a high RPI, 
Um, you look at A and M with a much better road record. The one that hurts that's one thing that hurts LSU. I think they're six and thirteen on the road, which the committee always looks at road record, and that's terrible. So on one hand, A and M has a better RPI, better road record, but LSU has better fifty and one hundred metrics. They won the head to head. They have a better conference record. They and you know whatnot, and so. I think LSU, for me, has more metrics, but an SEC team with an RPI in the 20s has never hosted, uh, and they would have to be kind of the outlier here. Kendall Rogers on your radio from D1 Baseball, D1Baseball.com. We were talking also uh, a couple of minutes ago about arms in the league, not just the arms that you've got this year, but the guys that you've got coming back for next year. But but just this sample of today, I mean, John Doxakis goes for, uh, excuse me, Doxakis, I said, Do- it right Doc Sackis. I said it right the first time. I think like I think I've heard it like five different times this year. Yeah, Doc Sackis, um, which I, when he pitched in Oxford and I did that game, I got it right the whole time. I'm Come struggling on, with it now. So uh, you're supposed to be a pro, my man. We're so, the ones who went to bed at five. So 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 he yeah. is elite. Doug Nikhazy pitched like he's elite today. You've got Wilcox going right now. Still going to mm-hmm. see Emerson Hancock. Isaiah Campbell throwing right now for Arkansas, and he's the guy that's out there with the lead and has only allowed two hits in the game. Yeah. You think Florida's guys will be better next year? You know Vanderbilt. I mean, Kumar yeah. Rocker will be a sophomore next season. Um, th- I mean, yeah. What I'm telling you is, the SEC's gonna be really good next year. Newsflash: It's a, it's a <laughs> shock, right? Yeah. I mean, Tennessee has some good arms coming back. And you know, we we talked about Doc Sackis a minute ago, but you know, how about the job that Doug Nikhazy did earlier today? You know, the the one thing I really like about him uh, is just his poise. Even whenever he he walks a guy, like he's back on the mound, he's He's on a war path, and, you, you know, you just don't see many first-year players like that. And so, you know, he, for me, like I know people kind of point to Will Etheridge as the ace, but to me he's kind of the heart and soul of that rotation. I feel like Etheridge is more of kind of a, I would say, laid-back personality, whereas yeah. Nikhazy's one of the – I always say it like this, guys, like, hey, if I was ever in a bar fight, which I've never been in a bar fight, but if I was ever in one, like who do I want on my side? And I want that dude on my side, and that's who I want on the mound uh, in a big game like that. Well, there's no question who MSU's ace is. He's going tonight, and that's Ethan yeah. Small. How do you like him against this Vanderbilt lineup? It's going to be really interesting because Vanderbilt, as we saw you know, yesterday, granted Auburn didn't pitch very well, but uh, they're, they're a very uh, patient team at the plate. They've got a great approach. They're, they're more than willing, as we saw with J.J. Bladet yesterday, to go opposite field if you try to pitch them outside. The big key for, for Ethan, as it has been all year long, and he's done a great job of this pretty much week in and week out, uh, is his ability to keep the fastball low in the zone. You know, I saw him at A&M a few weeks ago, uh, and, man, that fastball from that downhill angle is really difficult if he's able to locate the bottom of the zone. So that's going to be the big key for him if he if he gets up at all with that pitch uh Vanderbilt's gonna hit it but the percentages are in Ethan Small's favor he's been awesome this year and he's a lot of fun to watch Kendall same question but from two different directions I asked Rippy a second ago you you heard me ask him before the break Uh, assuming that Ole Miss is a two seed on the road somewhere Mm -hmm. where's a spot that's a good matchup for them to go in and have a chance to Uh, win a regional as a two seed Atlanta Without a doubt, Atlanta or NC State. I think Rippy hit the hit the nail on the head. That must have been his uh, D1 baseball internship coming out in him. But, uh, <laughs> NC State and, and Atlanta would be the two spots. I think when you look at both of those teams, boy, they are scary offensively. But, but they can be, you know, they can be beaten. Uh, you can put up some runs on those guys. And I think if you can, uh, if you're Ole Miss and and you pitch like you did earlier today against A&M, I do feel like the offense in a ballpark like Russ Chandler or uh, you know Doke at at uh, NC State. Uh, I think they would hit the ball at both of those places. So uh, I might actually like their chances to win a regional at either one of those places. I might actually predict it if they get, if they go there. And, and then flip side, we know Mississippi State's going to be a national seed, so you're not necessarily worried about the regional round nearly as much. Is there 
a team that's going to be on the opposite side of the bracket that they don't want to be paired up with in a super regional. I mean, I, I think if they if they play the way they're capable of, um, I don't think it really matters. I think they're going to beat whoever they play. I will say this, you know, it's kind of strange, but you know, the one thing the one thing that, that does scare me a little bit in a super regional, and, and granted, they haven't hit the ball all year, so like I don't know why I'm even thinking they're going to start in a super regional. But you know, you look at Adams pitching with Oxakis and Lacey, and man, they are just built for a super regional. And all it takes is for those guys to get hot two games. And they're in Omaha, so like if I if you saw today, I mean, you scored two runs, you win a game. Yeah, exactly. So I think I, th- I saw the stat yesterday on TV. But I think A and M was like twenty five and zero or something when they scored five or more runs. So you know they don't have to do very much to win, but uh, that that'd be the team for me, just because if they can get anything going offensively in a super region, which we all know, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, they could be really dangerous, but I have to see it to believe it with those guys offensively. They're so bad uh, at the plate. I mean, they, they had, what, 15 and two-thirds innings of uh, hitless baseball and lost both games? Yeah, yeah. That's unbelievable. It seems it seems like something that's literally impossible <laughs> to do. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, I was talking with Mike Rooney about this a, a little bit last night. Yeah. Florida, I mean, History would tell you they're not getting in, but the bubble's a disaster They'll this get in. year. You think they're getting in? Yeah, I just, you know, the bubble. You're still so no bad. on Missouri. I think Missouri's still in as of now. That's how bad the bubble is. I mean, Missouri's resume stinks, but you know they have series wins over Ole Miss and LSU at home. Uh, they've got some nice wins throughout, kind of scattered throughout their schedule. And again, kind of coming into the week, we we always expect somebody to take these spots with stolen bids. Right now, there doesn't look like there's going to be a stolen bid yet. There's a long way to go. Uh, but, you know, for teams like Missouri and Florida to bump out, somebody's got to jump in there. Right now, nobody wants to jump in there. So all, all the bubble teams are losing. It's a fun time of the year, isn't it? Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.